Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles while you're taking a seat to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm excited to be here this morning. This is one of the harder passages, um, not that any of the passages are easy necessarily, because this is God's Word, right? This, this is not uh, my idea or my, uh, my words. This is, this is God's Word, and we should take it seriously. Uh, but this is one of those ones where Ryan you know, said, hey, do you, know what? do you want to pick up where I left off? Um, and then I read the passage, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, Sure, <laughs> but I have really appreciated, uh, as we have been going through 1 Corinthians, that God is bringing His Word alive to us, that, that it's, not, it's not just some ancient book, a, a book of wisdom, and it is that, but it's not just a book of wisdom uh, that we say, well, that, that's good information. No, this is, according to God himself, this is the very words of life. And so as we open the pages, I, I pray that we would have a bit of trembling as we remember this is God speaking to you and to me. Uh, this is him using the Apostle Paul to speak to a congregation much like ours, gathering together, and saying, hey, there's some, some things I want to share with you. So that's, our, again, our hope, I pray, that w- what our mindset. So uh, last week, as Pastor Ryan taught through chapter 10, uh, verses f- uh, 14, starting at verse 14, and then all the way through 11, verse 1, um, he mentioned before, and I'll mention again, this is a corrective letter. So as we think about this, you know, this is the kind of, This book is often taught, and then there's lots of things stirred up in the body um, because it kind of like pokes at all our soft spots or our weaknesses. But it's a letter of correction to the believers at Corinth, but by relationship, it's a letter of correction to you and I that we would examine ourselves. And there were several issues uh, Paul was concerned about, and last week we see his concern regarding really idolatry and the lack of love for one another in the body Um, regarding matters of everyday life, their lack of love. And his concern was more about attitude than sound doctrine. Now, let me rephrase that. He is very concerned about sound doctrine, (laughs) and he says that they have sound doctrine. They, They are mentally aware, but the weakness that they're expressing is the abandonment of the practice of that, that loving, compassionate, gracious practice of it. Paul's aware of their love for the truth. However, again, their attitudes and therefore their actions regarding the truth have lacked a love and a concern for all the believers in all stages of their walk, and they have become rather proud and selfish in their expressions together. 
and it was affecting them, as Ryan mentioned last week, everyday life. It wasn't just in the church, but in their relationships in the community. The two main ideas Paul is trying to communicate in that portion, chapter 10, is for all believers to have an undivided devotion to God. This was one of the points that was made last week. To love God above all other things. And that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Do we love Him? Is Christ supreme? Is God the Father and the Spirit supreme above all things in our lives? But also, as it, as it relates to the idols, not just those physical idols, which were that, that connected worship, really in essence, to demonic forces, but the idols of the heart. Again, that supremacy issue. Those things that we cling to and allow to have supremacy in our lives. Uh, Ryan mentioned it last week, um, the, the word sharing or fellowship. It's mentioned six times in that passage And from these words, we get that understanding of fellowship or partnership, or more specifically, that sharing of deep relationship with someone or something, that there is a sharing in these relationships. And the Lord is trying to tell the people of Corinth, and again, you and I today, that we ought to have a biblical or godly relationship with Him, with others, and with all things in life, that we ought to have, and this was Ryan's second point, to have a sacrificial love, that we're willing to give up even those good things in our lives, our rights, our responsibilities, uh, or not our responsibilities, our rights, our, our desires, our wants, to give them up for the sake of others, for the name of Christ. And so there's this, this real push And this is summed up in chapter 10, verse 31, and then also chapter 11, verse 1. So it's kind of the book ends on this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever we do, wherever we find ourselves, we ought to be doing it for His glory. Is that our mindset? Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, is that our mindset? And then in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me, Paul says to the believers, but not just him, just as I also am of Christ. He's saying, if you see the good in me, that is from the Lord. I think some of you have heard me say this. They say, well, that was a really good message, Pastor. And I say, well, whatever was good, that was him. Whatever was left over, that was all me, (laughs) Right? If you see anything good in me, Paul says, that's because of Christ. Be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Are you and I able to say that with conviction and confidence? Our rights, our wants, our personal preferences all must take a backseat to our confession or profession of faith and submission to Christ. If we're trusting in Jesus, believing him to to be eternally faithful, as we've heard in previous sections of 1 Corinthians, then following him in all areas of life gets a lot simpler. I'm not saying easy, right? I think we can all agree it's not easy, but it gets simpler. 
when we understand the truth and it's laid out for us, it's a lot simpler to understand where we should go, what we ought to do, and what we ought to say. And this is the broader context of this section of 1 Corinthians. As he speaks to the various issues at Corinth, but also to all of us, so then chapter 11, verses 2 through 16 are the next issue that Paul wants us to wrestle with. And if you'll stand with me, we'll read together. Starting at verse 2 of chapter 11, and Paul writes and says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to have her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man does not originate from the woman, but woman originates from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering." But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. You may be seated. Really easy stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, this is, um, as I think, you know, as I was praying through this, and Ryan asked me about this, and praying, I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, this is... How many times have you personally read through this passage, read through 1 Corinthians, come to this section, and like, why in the world is this here? Like, what is this about head coverings, and what does it have to do with you and I here in 2022? Like, it makes no sense, and I'll admit, I've often just skimmed right over it. Like, okay, I'm just, I mean, I I think I have some ideas, but next... (laughs) However, I mean, this last Sunday, again, as leading up to this, and I'm praying and I was reading through the passage, uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 16, and saying, Lord, you know, just, I, I really, I want to wrestle this through. And as Ryan was teaching last Sunday, it was just like, have you ever had those moments where, boom, something just clicks? You know, it was, for me, it was like this grenade going off in my mind. Aha! Right? There isn't, there is a common thread in this passage, 
there's a common thread from chapter 10. And, and again, that common thread is directly linked to verse 31 of chapter 10. Again, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, Paul, again, he writes this letter to the members of the congregation at Corinth, to you and I, to provide direction and correction regarding their attitudes and actions in everyday life and within the church. Again, this is part of the thread. Some believers, knowing their freedom in Christ, were causing confusion among those who were newer to the faith. Ryan's beautifully mentioned this and explained this. It was an issue bringing division in the church and affecting their witness in the community. And what Paul is addressing here in chapter 11 is also an impact, is also an issue impacting the spiritual life and health of the church and their role in the community. Now, look at verse 2. He says, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. Now, I want to take, take you back for just a moment um, because as we read this in English, there's a little bit lost in it. And he's writing this with a fair amount of sarcasm, but acknowledgement of good things in their life. And it's like he's writing this and he's shaking his head, you know. Now, I praise you because you remember in everything. <laughs> not really. You are not remembering everything I've told you, right? What I shared with you when I was with you, you know, no, you're not really remembering that. You hold firmly to the traditions. Well, miss, sometimes. I mean, he's communicating a bit of sarcasm, but he's also communicating to them. It's like, you know these things, but something has gone wonky in your practice. So he's communicating a little bit of sarcasm here. The word traditions mentioned here should not be confused with the words of Jesus to the religious leaders when he rebuked them for following the traditions of men. Traditions here is referring particularly to the sound teaching, the doctrine, the teachings of Christ that was passed from the apostles onto the congregations that came out of their ministry, not just the apostles, but any of the disciples. He is referring to sound doctrine. The believers of Corinth knew these things, but again, he's like, you are not firmly holding to them. They were not, in fact, holding firmly to them in practice or in their hearts. So what is at issue in chapter 11? And this is the big question, right? Are we going to next week require all the women to put on head coverings? We'll answer that later. <laughs> but really, it's verse 3 that sets the context for this whole thing. Please don't miss it as I have for many years. Please don't miss this. He says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. What is the issue? The issue is one of headship or authority. Let me say that again. It is an issue of headship or authority. This is what this whole passage is talking about. Mixed in there is the discussion on head coverings. And we'll get to that. So what is headship? 
The quality of being in a position of leadership or guidance, headship has to do with God's relation to this created world and to his order of relationships within it. Biblical headship does not signify, don't miss this, guys and gals, does not signify superior status, but rather a role of leadership and care. Does not signify superior status, but rather a role of leadership and care. Uh, You've probably heard me mention before, I, I, I really appreciate David Guzik's commentary uh, and occasionally harvest quotes from there, so I'll share one with you this morning. I think he summarized this idea in its full sense. Head has the idea of headship and authority. It means to have the appropriate responsibility to lead and the matching accountability. It is right and appropriate to submit to someone who is our head. What we are seeing in verse 3 is God's principles of authority or order, authority, and accountability in the family and in the church. Again, to be clear, this is not an order of importance or value between men and women. Are you with me? Okay, it's not value importance being assigned here. Jesus made every effort to correct that erroneous view of women being less than men. He made it very clear at many times in his interactions. Think of Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, the Samaritan woman at the well. She became actually one of the first female evangelists, The first to see and report to the other disciples of their encounter with the risen Jesus were who? The women. There were many women within the ranks of his disciples. So again, I want to solidly put our anchor that this is not about value or superiority. This is about roles and responsibilities. Paul would write... These words to the believers in Galatia, and these words were written just not very many years before this letter to the Corinthians. He writes in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One. In Christ Jesus, he's leveling the playing field among men and women. However, God does have a prescribed order of authority and accountability and care. Now, before we look at deeper into this morning's passage, let me say this. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> okay? Do we love one another? Are we seeking and following Christ? Are there hard passages in the Bible? Then let's embrace them together. It is my heartfelt prayer and hope we will see the heart of God through His Word. So what is actually happening at Corinth? 
Why is Paul talking about headship and authority? Uh, Well, verse 4 through 6 reveals this. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her, her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved off. Whose head is shaved, sorry. That, that came out weird. <laughs> Just acknowledge it, move on. <laughs> for, a wom- for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off, But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. By implication, Paul is saying men and women are ignoring the authority roles within the church and even within the community, within the family. Now, I think some of this, again, could be related to other passages that they maybe are familiar with, such as those words written to the church at Galatia. This whole whole idea that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, we are all one in Christ, we all have the same status. Yes, we all have the same value and importance in relationship to Christ. So maybe perhaps with that sense of like, we are free now, we are no longer constrained by the boundaries neither of our culture nor of the Old Testament or past histories, but with this freedom in the forefront of their mind, men and women were ignoring the customs of the believers, both from a Jewish and a Gentile perspective, and the culture around them. Sadly, like the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols, too many people were doing what they wanted, what seemed right in their own eyes. And what does that lead to? a sure path to destruction. No consideration for the heart of God in those matters. Now, since the word head is referring to God's order and authority in an individual life, this begs the question, what is the covering Paul is speaking about? And this is There is a ton of views. If you read four commentaries, there is a strong likelihood you might get four different views. So for the sake of time, because we don't have hours upon hours, I'm going to shorten this up, but hopefully if this is something you want to dig into, you can can dig into that when you have time if you're so inclined. One view says Paul is talking about a woman's hair. That this, is, this covering is just a woman's hair. I'll just offer one problematic issue with that. Because in verse 4, this would then apply that men should be bald when praying or prophesying. Now, some of you guys would say, amen. Right? <laughs> like, let's make that happen. <laughs> but that would be rather Problematic. Now, the other view is that Paul is talking about an actual covering on a woman's head. I think, again, this is not an issue that we ought to divide over, right? But I think this is probably the most consistent view. And aligns with other usages of the word covering found both in the Old and the New Testament, such as Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, um, Esther chapter 6, verse 12, uh, these, that's talking, speaking of the cherubim covering their face, uh, when Haman covers his face, 
This word covering was also understood by the early Jewish and Greek philosophers as well as they're writing about Jewish and Greek customs to refer to something placed on the head. So that's the view we're going to move forward with, but don't let that derail you. This is not talking about a veil, some, some, that is a potential third view, uh, that this is the veil much like what you would see in the Muslim tradition. That is not the, the word here. The Greek word is not referring to that at all. In fact, the only word of that use, veil, is really in verse 15 as it relates to the woman's hair being her veil of glory. Um, so the, and, it, and that was not a practice of the culture even during that day for women to completely cover themselves what, either in the church um, or the congregation, the culture, uh, and outside the church. To sum it up, Paul is describing an actual covering of some kind. What is it? We don't know. Uh, that, that is the one thing I think most people can agree on. We don't really know how big was it, what did it look like. There is just not uh, enough evidence for us there. But it was a covering. Could it have been a prayer shawl? Perhaps. Could it have been the upper part of a woman's garment pulled over her head, much like in the Greek and the Roman tradition? Perhaps. But here's the point. This passage is not about the covering. This is not about the covering, whether one should be worn today. As I mentioned before, verse 3 sets the context. This is about what the covering represents, the symbol. And so from this passage, we should understand that there is a distinction being drawn between men and women. And this distinction that he's talking about is made from some type of physical head covering. And why is Paul concerned about the women wearing a covering? Again, verse 3 is our standard. It's describing the relationship and authority structure between men and women. You can breathe a sigh of relief, right? Maybe. (laughs) Again, so there is no misunderstanding This in no way diminishes the value of a woman as God designed her in the garden in all of his glorious purposes any more than the father's headship or authority over Jesus could ever diminish Jesus in relationship to the father. Do you hear me saying that? Christ submitted to the father And he was no way diminished in his authority. This is the whole point of Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. We are very familiar with it. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the very form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal (coughs) with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Equality or value of worth in men and women 
is not diminished by a biblical understanding of headship or authority. Looking again now at verses 4 and 6. Since the word head refers to authority and the covering is a symbol of that authority, Paul is describing how women ought to adorn themselves within the church as a sign of their submission to authority, to honor the authority of God and his representative order. Does that make sense? Describing how women ought to adorn themselves within the church as a sign of their submission to authority to honor the authority of God and his representative order. Furthermore, it is to draw a distinction between men and women, and that is done by what they wear. Do we see some problems with this in our culture today? Are we all okay? According to Paul, for a man to wear this covering, whatever it was, was denying God's given order. So I, I don't want you to miss this. This, this isn't just talking to women in the church. There is, a, a, I think, an equal rebuke for men and women in this passage. For a man to cover his head was to deny God's given order to be something other than than what God created him to be. For a woman to be uncovered was to deny the same. God created us uniquely different, didn't he? Aren't you glad? We are different both in form and in our functions, according to God. We each have a God-ordained role, and we should not depart from it. Nor should we attempt to make less the other's roles and responsibilities. Now, I I worked in the secular world uh, for, for most of my life. I've only been on staff here for 15 years. And I, I worked with a lot of non-believers. And this whole idea of uh, a woman staying home to care for children. Uh, how many are familiar with the feminist movement? And the idea that like you need to have a career um, in, in order to be fulfilled and all these things. And so there was a lot of women, uh, you know, 80s, 90s, looking down on other women who chose to stay home. But helping us to understand that and communicating to that, some of my coworkers is like, listen, my wife has an incredibly hard job. She has to wrangle me. (laughs) She has to wrangle kids. She makes me a better man. Without her, I am less. And that, according to God, in the marriage relationship, is exactly what he created. That we are a balance for one another. And her role makes me more effective in mine. Now, we would say this even within the church. Some would say, you know, you all, you all know Paul, right? At the front door. Not, not Paul up here. We, I mean, we might know you. That's, that's good. But we all know Paul at the front door. And people say, well, that's a very, you know, unimportant ministry. But let me tell you this. That is a critically important ministry 
Because if people come through the door and they are not welcomed, loved, and directed, then anyone up here, their role is diminished. Because when people walk through the door, if they do not know they are loved, why would they stay? Because Jesus said, what? They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen. These roles are both necessary to reflect the full glory of God within the church and the family. Paul is addressing a church that is out of order. Jesus is no longer in his rightful place in their midst. And the shame it brings is like the shame of a woman whose head is shaved and associated with being a prostitute. That's what he's talking about. It's like it could get really bad when this order is out of order. And the shame that it brings is not just to the individual. It extends from the bottom to the top. Again, I think this is why Paul ends chapter 10 with verse 31 and begins chapter 11 with verse 1. Whatever you do, do it for who? The glory of God. Be imitators of who? Christ. Be imitators of Jesus to the glory of the Father. Then Paul emphasizes that this... This order in creation. Verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Now this takes us all the way back to the garden. Right? Genesis chapter 2. God created Adam. And after a period of time, there was no suitable helper or companion found for Adam, right? And so God says, well, let me put the man to sleep. I'm going to pull out a rib. And I'm going to fashion a companion. And, this, and this, is, this is Adam's response. This is, it, it captures a little of Adam's joy. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Eve, Eve was a part of him in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. And a woman like her would be worth leaving father and mother to find such a companion and helper. I hope that's not lost on us. He is ecstatic. He's like, generations from now, guys will leave their parents to find this kind of woman. Or at least they ought to. God created man and then he created woman to be a helper for man. This is God's order of authority. And any argument that I have or you have is with him. Amen? With this in mind, look at verse 10. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So since women are to be under the authority of a man, whether that's her husband 
or her father, they ought to have a symbol of authority, of submission to that authority. Now, before we dive into that a little more, let's take a short little detour and, and discuss what he's talking about angels here. Again, this is another one of those parts where there's lots of different thoughts on this. But to keep it short again, let's agree with this. There are angels, yes? They are created beings, yes? They are in submission to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, they are ministering servants sent to us by God, yes? They do battle in the unseen realm, the heavenly places. When we're gathered together, like today, there is a war taking place, is there not? Sometimes I I admit I forget that. There is a war taking place for our hearts and our minds and our souls. And angels are all around us. And even Gehazi, the disciple of the prophet Elisha, discovered this in 2 Kings 16. If you are familiar with that story, where the city is surrounded, Gehazi wakes up and he tells Elisha, we're toast. They've surrounded the city. We're all dead men. There's many more of them than there are of us. And Elisha says, open my servant's eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees the hosts of heaven, right? And it's like, well, I guess they don't have a chance. (laughs) Now, as it relates to this, somehow, as angels look down upon the gathering in Corinth, They were offended by the sight of a woman without her head covered. Why? Because it demonstrated a lack of submission to the Almighty's prescribed order. And this is more about attitude than anything else. They are in His presence. Speaking of the angels, they are in God's presence, created by Him to help and care for us, and they submit to His will. How can God's favored creation, mankind, not willingly submit to this same order and authority? This is potentially the offense that is being talked about. This brings us to another question from verses 4 and 6. Is Paul talking about praying or prophesying in the church or in the public? The answer is yes, potentially. In the church, and maybe he's also referring to the public. But again, the point is headship, not the praying or prophesying. At the least, he is referring to an improper understanding of the use of authority in relationship to the two. He addresses praying or prophesying more fully in chapter 14. The teaching in the church, that's what it's really referring to. He addresses that more fully in chapter 14. And I'm going to graciously allow Ryan to handle that one. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate one of the things that uh, Alistair Begg said on this. He said, let's just remember this. The Holy Spirit does not create confusion... The Holy Spirit does not contradict himself, so therefore, because Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to write the Holy Scriptures from verse 11, or from chapter 11 to chapter 14, somehow Paul is not going to have a change of heart. So there is a, there's something constant in here, but we'll let you guys chew on that with Ryan in, in a few weeks. Back to the main point of our passage. 
Again, I want to quote Alistair Begg on this about verses 4 through 6. It's not so much what goes on her head as what's going on inside her head that is the issue. And it's not just the women, it's the men. As I mentioned before, there is an equal amount of accountability and responsibility for what is taking place in the church at this time. The lack of a head covering on a woman in Corinth at the time was merely reflecting what was happening in the heart. It was an outward expression of a rebellion against God's ordained order as her church and and community understood it. And in case we missed it the first couple times, men and women are again reminded that we are interdependent. We are interdependent. We need each other, and God created us in this way. Verse 11, however, in the Lord, neither is a woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman, for as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Who's the author of all things? God. He created it, therefore we don't get a mess with it. If we do, there are real-life consequences for it. This is the one argument from nature, one of the arguments. Men cannot exist, continue to exist, apart from women. And even more than that, we have an equal relationship with Christ. 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands, he's, he's given this great teaching on, on wives submitting to their husbands, but he wraps this up in verse 7, Uh, And he says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Warning, 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 (laughs) so that your prayers will not be hindered. We might not like the word weaker there in in 1 Peter, but this is a fact. Generally, men are physically and emotionally stronger than women. I say generally. Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Generally. And this is often in relationship to emotional strength for men because we have this unique ability, uh, maybe not unique, but expanded ability to separate emotion from circumstances. And this can be very good, right? Like during times of war and battle, we can, we can do things that just shouldn't, shouldn't be done sometimes. We can separate the emotion from it. But it's always, not always a strong point. You women can attest to this in marriage, right? But a woman's weakness... And strength is more balanced, more than balanced by her strength for compassion, tenderness, and emotional expressions of love. A woman's weakness and strength is more balanced by her strength for, more than balanced by her strength for compassion, tenderness, and emotional expressions of love. Can I get an amen? I love the fact that my wife is more emotionally connected to things because sometimes I don't see them. And I need that connection. I'll give you just a, a brief example from my own life. 
Whenever my dad and I would go uh, out hunting or fishing, and, and especially after if we'd, it was a, kind of a difficult, not very successful trip, as we were heading home, often driving in silence, because that's what us guys sometimes do, dad would reach over often and pat my knee three times just as he glanced over it, look at me with a little smile on his face. He did this so many times that eventually later as I got older, I said, Dad, I, I think we were coming back from somewhere, and I said, why do you do that? I'm like, it's every time. It's like, and he just looks at me with this affection in his eyes. And he told me, he said, son, I'm just telling you, I love you. I'll tell you this. My dad was not super expressive using those words when I was growing up, but I can tell you this. My dad communicated that in a variety of ways. Now, my mom, on the other hand, in contrast, my mom often told me and still does to this day, even just this last week, I love you, Kev Kev. Please don't use that on me. <laughs> and with a, you know, a glint or a tear in her eye. This is the, one of the differences between men and women. It is good that we have differences. God is the originator of the nature and character of a man and woman, and both aspects are needed for a healthy family, marriage, and church, and society. Verses 11 and 12, they are also a warning to men to not misunderstand or abuse their authority of their daughters or their wives. To echo Paul's words, do or Jesus' word, do not lord it over them, right? It shouldn't be that way in, among you, that we ought to have a tender and caring attitude. This is what Peter is also talking about. Weaker, not in ability and value, but weaker in a particular area of life, that we have a greater strength. And that we are to make up for their weaknesses even as they make up for our weaknesses. Amen? Verse 13 and 15, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you half that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. Now Paul says to the church, you all know that historically and more importantly the very nature God put into a man and woman to testify to the order. And this goes back to Romans that, that the, the creation itself testifies of the nature of God and the character of God and his order. Yes, in general, a man with long flowing hair like a woman was not seen as a natural thing. I know some of you from the 60s and 70s really, you know, that ruffles your feathers. But more than that, he, God says, my divine nature planted in each of your hearts proves the order of these things so that you are without excuse. So to summarize, and, and kind of bring this to a point of like personal application, what do we do with this? What do we see 
going on. God designed a system of authority. He calls it headship. He created men and women to complement each other and to be a balance for each other's weaknesses. His order of authority is reflected in creation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created mankind. They created them male and female. He gave them unique physical and emotional traits. He also gave them unique roles and responsibilities and their corresponding authority. As Jesus submitted to the Father, so man should submit to Jesus and the woman to the man and the children to their parents. The problem that we see in our culture today is what? No one wants to do this. They want to, in fact, turn this whole order on its head. If you've not listened to um, Nathan and Holly's presentation, Encounter in Our Culture on Gender and Identity, I would encourage you to do so. It's, it's heart-wrenching, but at the same time, very informative. The world wants to throw away any idea of order or, more importantly, authority. Especially God's given authority. And what we do see from this kind, what do we see from this kind of thinking? All kinds of disorder in God's church, in the family, in the culture. Men want to be women, women want to be men, and children are left to decide on their own what they want to be. In too many churches, families, and communities, men are failing to lead in a God-honoring manner. Again, not talking about, I'm in charge here. No, God says, I'm responsible, and I better love them really well, as Christ loved his church. (laughs) That's a heavy weight to put on a man, rightly put on them. Men are failing to lead in a God-honoring manner, and too many women are demanding they be allowed to lead in a way that dishonors the men that God has placed in authority over them. And this breaks the heart of God, confuses the body of Christ, causes mockery from our communities, and a shame to us as individuals, to the church, and to the name of Jesus Christ. All because we want our rights or we don't want the responsibility. What do we do about it? To be sure, we do not demand women to wear a head covering. What we ought to be doing is what the Lord reminds us to do in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 20. Read along with me. I think it's up on the screen. Let the Lord of the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of who? 
the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That is a lot to put into practice. Is it impossible? No, not according to God. For each one of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling within us who guides us in all truth, convicts us of sin, and helps us to understand the wisdom and knowledge of God to the point of application. He's tasking us with what the world would say, you could never live up to that. And we would say, yes, apart from Christ, you could never live up to that. If that is not enough, then listen to the Lord's words through Paul in verse 16. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. (coughs) If we want to be contentious about this issue of authority, God's given order, and ignore the word and the heart of Christ, there is nothing else left for us. Because there is no other practice or words that can correct these kind of rebellious hearts. If we will not subscribe to the very words of God, nothing else will correct us. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Amen? And there is a prescribed order that God has for us and authority. And when we function in those roles and responsibilities when we are accountable both to our partners, to Christ, we have peace and unity in the family, in the church, and yes, even possible within our communities. Amen. And may we have the heart of Christ in this. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.